Welcome to Protect Your Practice, brought to you by BrightSquid. Let's dig deep into real-world data breaches of patient information. We'll provide practical, expert advice to help you mitigate risk, understand compliance with privacy laws, and safeguard your clinic against all of the privacy and security threats facing healthcare today. Welcome back to Protect Your Practice, the podcast all about privacy compliance and what you need to do to make sure that your clinic is safe. This week, we're going to talk about uh, why compliance matters and the importance of proper policies and procedures. My name is Jeff McKay. I'm your host for these discussions. Uh, We're going to look at, with our panel, newfound patient and public interest in privacy compliance. We're going to talk about uh, where that's coming from, be it government regulations, such as mandatory breach reporting, things like Facebook and the news. And we're going to talk about how to stay ahead because it really is a knowledge issue to make sure that you're compliant because enforcement is real. We've got a lot of different regulations that are popping up, um, new ones that do give the government uh, authorities more more teeth, as it were, uh, to go after uh, people who are who are careless with people's other people's private information. Joining me this week, uh, we have our panel back, uh, Rohit Joshi, CEO of BrightSquid, with a, a tremendous uh, legal background in privacy compliance and regulatory issues, um, as well as we have Valerie Fleisch, our privacy lead at BrightSquid, who works with hundreds of clinics on an ongoing basis to help maintain their privacy compliance, and Jen Kreiner, who is a privacy advisor at BrightSquid, working with clinics on, on breach concerns, uh, as well as developing those privacy impact assessments that are so important. So I'm excited to jump in. Let's uh, let's start the conversation now. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming back. We've got uh, Rohit and Jen and Val back with us again this week. Thanks for your time again. I think last week lots of good discussion. But what I want to cover is like what's what's the big deal? So why why is it so important? Rohit, you've been watching compliance and privacy across North America for decades. Yeah, really. Yeah, um, you know it's it's interesting. I, I, as you said, I've I've been in sort of the privacy business both in Canada and the U.S. since, geez, I don't know, 25 years now. And I got to say, I've never seen patients and really the public more interested. And I don't know if that's Facebook. I don't know if it's, um, you know, what's happening in our in our everyday lives. But there's more sensitivity to that discussion than ever before. And that includes the clinic, the clinics that I visit. Uh, I can tell you 10 years ago when I would go into clinics, people would, had heard about privacy. But it didn't really make a huge difference. They weren't willing to invest in it, I would say. A very different story for lots of good reasons. I think patients are more concerned. I think uh, as governments, the privacy commissioners are more concerned. And I think as we get more data about us out there, everybody's more concerned yeah. about how it's being used. Well, even last year, right, you have the, the Health Information Act in Alberta is now um, mandatory breach reporting came in last August. Federally, PIPIDA mandatory breach reporting came in in November. So, yeah, it's 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 revenue. So, what does that mean for penalties? What do you see? What do you hear? Our clinics when you talk it's to them? It's too new. So, I mean, you know, they all, well, to be honest, not all of them even know yeah. <laughs> that the amendments have been made. So, that's when they talk to us. You know, they call in with questions or situations where they need guidance. Is then when we tell them and we update, you know, their policies and procedures. I mean, sometimes there's some sort of awareness because their college or association sent them an email. If they open it up, <laughs> that's the other question. Yeah. They're like, oh, this happened. What does this mean? They'll call us and we'll explain it. But sometimes they'll know there's something there, but they don't, they, I would say 99% don't know that there is fines for it. 
and it's something that comes up in training again. Yeah, and I would say, uh, you know, like, I think there's two things. One is they don't know that it exists. The second, honestly, is I don't think people are that concerned about enforcement. And I think what, what we're seeing now is enforcement is real. We've seen it in the States for many years. Enforcement's real, and where enforcement fails, there's class action lawsuits. So I think as far as driving this into the minds of many in the clinics and in healthcare in Canada, the time is now because there will be that, you know, iconic breach that ends up getting the book thrown at them because they ignored it. And no, and, and nobody wants to be that. Yeah. And I think too, as a patient, like looking at it from a patient standpoint, you want to make sure that you're, I don't want my information out there. And if it is out there, I want it to be my choice. I don't want some person who thinks it's okay to leave their files lying around to, to have that option to share my information. So I think that really making sure that we're looking at it from a, a patient perspective as well is really important. Yeah. And that's a great segue into <laughs> our first <laughs> well done. That was awesome. Not even prompted. That was fantastic. Okay, so, so we're going to take a look at a break-in. Um, and this was a call that came in to, to, to the team here, right? Mm-hmm. But, but um, a clinic arrived to work one day and discovered they'd had a break-in and that there was files left out on the counter, right? So Well, they had a there? call in the middle of the night. RCMP was called. So, you know, there was a, it was a bigger scale break-in in several businesses and the clinic was one of them. And so they were called in the middle of the night, the office manager to the break-in and realized, oh no, somebody had left files out and now they call like, you know, what does this mean? This is a breach. What do we need to do? So and Val, it was physical patient files. It was physical, were, yeah. Okay. And, and they know, weren't locked of, away. They were just sitting on the desk. Yes. So okay. one of the employees had left them out, which, you know, they shouldn't have. <laughs> Yeah. Of course, so there should be, you know, really making sure that that all gets put away and is safely stored. But, you know, they didn't think anything of it. They probably left at the end of the day. Totally. Like, well, I'm back at 8 a.m. the next morning. It's not like you And they locked the, the door and set the alarm. They did, yeah. Like they that. had an alarm, but yeah. And I think it's important to keep in mind that the patient's files who got looked at was looked at by criminals if they were looked at. So uh-huh. who knows what those criminals are going to do with that information. Uh, so, yeah. I mean... Yeah, someone could oversee patient information. What will they do? These yeah. were criminals that broke in with, you know, an intent on stealing something. Yeah, and the, right. I think the important thing to note even there, right, it's criminals. And, you know, we know, and it, there's tons of research on this, that the the value of patient records on the black market, you can sell those for somewhere between 50 to $150, depending on the completeness of the record. Right. And they're used for all kinds of things. So they're valuable targets. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, so Roa, then what's the liability for the clinic here? Because they've they've clearly made a mistake, and, and so what happens next? Yeah, you know, and this is a good example where they've they've probably done some of the right things, right? They've they've done some of the right things, which was they locked the clinic, they had an alarm system that was working, and they've mistaken some other things, which was patient records shouldn't be left out. And so, you know, the li- there is definitely liability because I suspect that in any sort of a a uh, uh, of a process it would tell them very clearly that patient records should be put away um and so there probably is some liability here around that um but remains to be seen for sure the criminal activity regarding you know taking uh, taking of their servers is going to be more important we don't know if those were encrypted we don't have any information about how that uh, how the servers were actually dealt with and so those those are going to be ones i think that probably initiate a larger claim so, so then, 
like how does how do you prevent this stuff right we've talked a little bit about it but like what's the hard and fast like we gotta do training and and really letting your staff know the importance of protecting patient health information really yeah and have safeguards in place Like, and we help with that too, identify, because there's a lot of them, right? It's like that secure storage of patient records, maybe electronic or paper. That's one of the most important things. And there's a whole list of safeguards that you should be putting in place. And you should have, again, a policies and procedures document that lists all these safeguards. And not just training, but also having your staff read your policies and procedures and not just read them, but then adhere to them, yeah. <laughs> ideally. The multi-step just, process. That's a tricky, yeah. that's a tricky and, part. And that's part of the but... ongoing training part, yeah. too, yes. right? It's, it's yeah. the check-in. We do the annual audits to make sure, are you yeah. still doing these things? Mm-hmm. And all of so... need to be updated. Sometimes things change. Like, you know, a clinic doesn't stay static in time. So the policies and procedures is also important to know. That's not a one point in time, right? So every year you have to make sure you review them. Are you doing things differently? Maybe you switched from paper to electronic records. Maybe your process of how you do your, and you know, whatever it is changed. So that all should be reflected and people yeah. need to be retrained. So the policies and procedures is a, where does that come from? We do that. So a lot of that work in a PIA, but is, is that it? Like we'll, we'll establish them for you. Is there stuff beyond that? Jen, you want to? One of the things I find, we have a risk assessment table that comes with ours, and I find that it's um, really good if you're trying to implement change in your clinic because it gives you a breakdown of some of the things that you can do to really safeguard your clinic. And we work with clinics. I mean, certain things always have to be in the policies and procedures document. And, you know, that's, you know, we help with that because certain things as per the Health Information Act, there are certain things you have to address. But then other things, we work with clinics. You know, how do you operate your business? How do we need to And I think, I think, and both of you guys have said this from my perspective, you know, we're trying to help with a culture change, Mm -hmm. right? The way we sort of started this discussion was it's more important now than it's ever been. Which means that if you've been doing the same things for the past five years, it's probably not good enough now. There's more sensitivity from a patient perspective. There's more sensitivity from the regulator perspective. And we need to change. We need to help clinics change with the times, right? And the times are much more sensitive, um, much more sensitivity. And in fact, the laws have changed to reflect that. It wasn't the other way around. And so there's a real culture change. And that's why the, you know, the monthly meeting for training or, or the regular training sessions that you have, it's all part and parcel of changing the culture to increase the sensitivity because we all know how difficult it is to change our work processes. Well, if there was ever a thing that we needed to change them with right now, it is privacy. Well, and that's interesting that you say that the ongoing training, one of our, it was one of the clinics that was one of our last training sessions walked out saying this is the best money we've ever spent. Just having that security, that knowledge that people are up to date and are educated around processes and the importance. So, but that's a good point, like the changing environment that brings us to our next breach. I want to move on to, um, which is about spoofing. So email spoofing. Um, and, and in this case, um, the office email address was sending spam and malware. So dangerous viruses out to, um, uh, other colleagues and, and patients, um, so there was an issue there that, that there was a breach. So, um, Rohit, I know you have because you study privacy, it seems, all day. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> nothing better to do, Jeff. Nothing better, right? It's, 
Um, but but like you have a laptop where you just let it you download viruses and and all that stuff. So talk to me about spoofing and what you've seen and what you've come across in this changing environment. Yeah. The, well, the first thing is that there's multiple different types of sp- cyber attacks and. It's not a question of when it's going to hit the clinic or when it's going to hit you personally. It's just a question. It's not if, it's when. And so there's ransomware threats that we've seen all over uh, uh, Alberta, Canada, and North America. There's uh, Well, and actually ransomware around the world has shut down massive systems. Um, there's spoofing threats. There's uh, ransom, uh, different types of... I've even seen <laughs> recently fake ransom. Where people will say, I've, I'm going to lock up your computer unless you pay me. So it wasn't even a real <laughs> ransom. <laughs> and so, but, but it catches enough people enough of the time. And so, yeah, I have a laptop that I click on the link, but it's super important for every clinic who's dealing with patient information not to click on those links. And, and this is where that separation between what's happening in my regular email versus what's patient private information and how do we use secure mail or some other secure system because they shouldn't intersect those two should be entirely different on different systems so i've got one yeah that i end up having to reformat and and, and basically start from scratch monthly because it will get infected i plan on it and that's its only purpose is to so get then, infected. like well can you explain a little bit like what spoofing is and how it gets in and how how this sure. kind of attack happens yeah so um Likely what's happened, and, and I've got a couple of email addresses that I've had for 20 years, and um, this particular email address that I use has been compromised through no fault of my own. And it's important for people to know that your email address might be out there through no fault of yours. In this particular example, um, uh, for, for the one that I get most of my uh, um, emails to, um, it was because of a LinkedIn breach, um, a Yahoo breach, a uh, breach at Adobe, and a, dream, and a breach at Dropbox. So somebody broke, broke in. Somebody broke into those systems and them. got my information. So they were now able to know that my email address is a registered valid email address. And now they can use that email address to basically put on any message that gets sent out. Because they know it's valid. And in a perfect scenario, and I mean perfect from a hacker scenario, they've also got my address book. Right. So what's happened is now they can appear as though they're sending an email from me to my known contacts. They steal your authority in that sense. So you totally. Well, it's, it's the sort of a low form of identity theft yeah. because they're actually sending it to my contacts who all love me <laughs> and, will, and, will, and know I'm a privacy guy and, and will now really click on it because they think it's important. <laughs> Uh, so, but, Jen, but uh, like in that sense, so Jen, <laughs> um, like, what's the risk to patients? Like, the, the, they're getting these emails now. What, what's the risk here? Yeah, I think there's two things. I mean, the risk of the, to the patient is, of course, and you said that you know people trust you, they like you. So, if it, an email comes from somebody you trust, and a clinic is a prime example for that, right? So, if I get an email from my physician or whoever yeah. it is, I trust that email. Like, I usually wouldn't think about oh, that's malware or somebody else is trying to pretend that person. So, I think just it being from, sent out from a clinic email address is a huge risk because patients we'll just click on the link that's and then they there. could get a virus yes yeah, yeah. yeah. so we're malware right do, do yeah. their stuff their computer could yeah. be held ransom anything like that so i think yeah it's it's a big deal because if you yeah. think of the reputational damage yeah. i mean my friends who thought i was actually sending them a virus mm-hmm. 
they know better now. Defended you. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've unfriended Off of me. Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know if you think about that from a clinic's perspective, first of all, from a hacker's perspective, that's prime real estate. Yeah. Because people will open emails from the clinics they choose to use. So that's prime clickable spot. Right. It, it, like, is there anything they can do? Like, can we pre- prevent this? Is this is this an attack that is avoidable? Well, so if you look at what's happening with banks, banks will tell you very specifically that they will never ask you for this, or they'll never ask you for this, or they'll never ask you for this. Um, or I've seen it in a number of communications that they come. What, what I would suggest is um, there's an opportunity for... With products like our secure mail product or some other products, what happens is they get a notification from the clinic. They don't actually get the email. They get a notification that they have to log into their, their, their secure inbox. That prevents that sort of, uh, um, breach from occurring because, you know, if a patient gets a, a open this now email from their clinic, they know it's fake. Because they know that proper and, 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 and authorized use happens through secure mail. And then it's established as well. When, when uh, you look at the, the laws around using secure mail with patients, it's required to have a conversation with patients up front. Yeah. That's how we're going to use this. So that's totally. a great way to establish it. I just want to, we're, we're, we're having a lot of great conversation. <laughs> but I want to move, because there's, there's, there's actually a ton of breaches around email, which yeah. is interesting, right? Um, because we need to figure out how to get clinics to stop using email altogether. But, um, this this one will happen at a different organization where um, basically someone gained access to an employee's email account. So it's a similar kind of situation, but somebody actually got in there uh, and was sending out emails. So, like, uh, what's the regulatory implication with that? Well, <laughs> you know, there is, again, as a clinic or any business, this is not just clinics, so you have to protect the personal information, health information, your care. So... Regular email, which is not, you know, we have to be careful to distinguish the two. Regular email and secure mail is not the same. So what's important is you need to verify or make sure or put measures in place that what you send out can only be opened by the intended recipient, and that's where secure mail comes in. So, you know, if you do send it to the wrong person, that uh, that person can open it. I think, too, having long and strong passwords on your email right. helps protect your email from getting hacked as well. Um, I know that I've had my email hacked before, and your friends all call you and they say, hey, you're sending me spoof, like, let yeah. stop, you know? And all you have to do is change password to kind of, but your email's tagged, right? So I think making sure that you are changing your password regularly and that you have a long and strong password. That's yeah. important as well. And we provide guidelines for that too, yeah. right, with the clinics that you we bet. work with. Yeah. So then, um, now, Rowan, like, we're back talking about problems with email. Yeah. Uh, like, this is, is, is this an issue with email? Is this an issue with, with policies and procedures? Yeah. So, in, in partially both. I mean, I think if we're, if we're talking about a significant and serious tool that can be used for secure discussions with patients, we cannot be talking about email. And, and there's multiple reasons that we've already sort of mentioned, right? It's not a secure method. It's hackable by others. Yeah. The organization that you belong to owns it. There's, there's multiple reasons that those organizations shouldn't be using normal email to communicate with patients. And patients shouldn't be using normal email to communicate with their providers. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're talking about email. I think it's, it's, it's quite amazing um, that, uh, you know, we still see the persistence of the fax machine. You know, I think 
I think if we look towards electronic communication, email is not a substitute for fax. Secure email is, and it's actually so much better than uh, than a specific email, primarily because all of these elements that we're talking about today don't occur. You can't spoof a secure mail. So since, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, since we talked about being able to hack into things, so you, and I know you've had, you know, lots of experience in compliance ways of communication. So how is secure mail, is it less hackable? Like how, you know, because we talked sure. about you can hack into regular email. Yeah. How about secure mail? So it's it's an important difference, right? So so the, this email was developed so that, multiple systems were would form redundancy. And what that means is little bits of an email get sent around through different systems and then reassemble at one point in time. And that's just the basic technology. It was developed for war times where if one server went down, other ones would start up and other ones would carry that information. Now, when you're talking about a secure system, we don't talk about that type of vulnerability. Because that specifically doesn't exist in systems like ours or other systems. Um, plus the fact that when those, when that email is being transferred, it's transferred in an encrypted form, which means it cannot be read, even if it's intercepted. And it, in, the only way to unlock it is by that user entering in their specific username and password. Now, is there ways of hacking it? Actually, very, very, very difficult. We try to hack ourselves. We pay other people. We pay other people to hack us because that's how difficult it is. And we're super fortunate that as, as hard as we try, we can't do it because it's a closed system. Yeah. I think it's, you know, the more and more we go through these breaches, um, the, the more like technology use becomes an issue and, and the adoption. And we need to make sure that people are aware of what the right options are versus just kind of adopting something that they find yeah. off the internet or off the street and doing the research to, to make sure that, you know, like for us, I know we answer 149 different tick boxes in, in HIPAA yeah. and in Pivota and in the Health Information Act that make secure mail a compliant tool to use. So we've covered a lot again. Uh, I really like these conversations, and I think we're, we're, we're digging deep into privacy, but we're going to wrap up there. Don't use email. Lock up your patient files. Follow policies and procedures. Make sure everybody is trained. Use secure mail. Uh, all of our cl cl clients and clinics that we work with have a secure mail account uh, included with that. And, and um, it's great to see the adoption rising quickly. Thanks for listening to Protect Your Practice, brought to you by BrightSquid. For a regular dose of privacy insights and tips, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd be honored if you left us a five-star review and shared this episode with your colleagues. Find out how you can get expert privacy compliance support at brightsquid.com and click Privacy Compliance.